Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to another episode of The Edge. Today, we have a friend of uh, uh, the show and a, and a friend of ours now called Art O'Kane here. Uh, it's great to have you back again, Art. We've actually met in person. We met at RSA. It was great. Uh, it's always great when we get an opportunity to, to meet people and make friends. And I really liked you and I hope you liked us. Um, I'm going to start off really with the same question as always about giving a, a little bit of background to yourself. But I'd also like to point our listeners at episode number one. Um, it was a really good episode. We definitely enjoyed doing it. Um, but yeah, Art, give us a little bit of an intro. Yeah, yeah. So right now I am kind of straddling CISO and CIO roles at Arium. I come from a IT background, system administration, network administration, cloud admin. I kind of did a five-year detour at each spot, you know, as I went through my career and then landed in cybersecurity and uh, specifically ransomware IR and ransomware recovery a lot lately. I think that's a good introduction. And I mean, ransomware is a hot topic right now. So I read an article, I think it was either earlier today or yesterday, that said ransomware is actually the highest it's been since 2021, um, which which is curious because it wasn't that long ago I was reading articles that were saying ransomware is going away. We've kind of won the battle. And it was a topic that came up on the podcast quite a lot that for me it was, has it gone away? Or is it moving to areas where there's less focus on it? But now we're being told it's on the rise again. So based on what you see kind of day in and day out, and obviously don't name any names or anything, what are you seeing? Do you agree with it being on the rise? Is it dying out? What What is kind of the scenario with it right now? Yeah, so through you know, 2018, 2019, 2020, uh, 2021, it was constant increase. 2021, it was really booming. And then in 2022, it died. It, it, you know, as a company with an IR team, you know, our company was actually in trouble because of not getting IRs, you know, to actually service. So it had an economic impact on us. But, uh, you know, there were, in 2022, there were so few IRs that it was like, okay, is ransomware going away? Uh, it was, you know, extremely diminished. And there are several reasons for that, uh, mainly the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Uh, you know, the threat actors are from Russia and Ukraine for the most part. You know, there there are, you know, affiliates all over the world, but uh, the core groups were there. And uh, Our Evil was in Russia. And, you know, you may have seen the Our Evil takedown that was on, you know, on the Internet where they had kind of footage that looked a little too staged about a, uh, you know, Russian agents barging in and and uh, and taking down the R Evil team, and you know, I believe that that team just got pushed into uh, Russian service, um, you know, to for the Russia Ukraine conflict. Uh, but also, there was a the biggest threat actor of, at the time after R Evil was taken down was Conti, and Conti was made up completely of Russian and Ukrainian threat actors, so. When that conflict started, Conti completely self-destructed, and they did so on Twitter. Like they were, <laughs> they were completely attacking each other on Twitter in front of everybody, and so that threat actor group really dissolved. That has that affected ransomware for the rest of the year. You know, there were some other things, Black Mama, Black, you know, things like that, Black Cat, um, um, 
you know, variants. There were other variants, and, and some people from Conti, like former Conti people, would spin up a smaller threat actor group or cell in order to um, do some attacking. But it was it was far diminished from in 2021. So 2023 started here, and pretty much, you know, right after New Year's, it was just on fire. It was ramping up. There was, it was like 2022 never happened. And we were just picking up from where we dropped off in 2021. And there was extremely high threat activity, a lot of ransomware attacks, and, uh, you know, some larger targets, but uh, a lot of smaller targets. So I think one of the things that that really the outcome of in 2021, the, the colonial pipeline attack, they got a lot of publicity, got a lot of, uh, you know, federal engagement there. Uh, the it taught threat actors uh, some some lessons. Don't go for big critical infrastructure because it's going to get federal attention right away, and you're not going to you know the outcome won't be great for you. Um, so what happened in Colonial Pipeline is is really FBI got involved, and then an entire task force of you know NSA, CIA, like everyone was was involved in this. And so when the ransom was paid, they were able to claw back most of the ransom payment because they were tracking all the funds and where as they were being transferred. So they were able to get that money back. And uh, so that threat actor group went underground completely as soon as that uh, that happened. And I was actually in the middle of an IR on another engagement from that same threat group. And they went dark. And that client had just paid the ransom. The threat actor went dark and never gave the encryption key, the decryption key, because they were under so much attack from the federal government that they just, you know, they went and burned down their entire um, organization. So uh, what that taught threat actors is stop going for big critical infrastructure, stop going for targets that are going to get you a lot of attention, and go for a lot of smaller targets. And so that's what's been happening this year. You know, there there have been some some bigger campaigns, but for the most part, we're seeing a lot of smaller activity. And you know, we've even you know received from from very small businesses, you know, our ransomware um, business for IR. So it's uh, you know, it's no longer that mid enterprise that they're aiming for, or 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 enterprise. It's it's kind of small to mid and uh, really, you know, as most companies now have insurance policies, uh, they're really just aiming to get paid out of that insurance policy. So they're continuing their attacking, but they're aiming for the softer targets. Now um, it's easier to gain initial access to a small business than it is to a large enterprise. Large enterprise has those controls is a large enterprise is going through that zero trust translation of all of their existing controls into kind of a zero trust model and <laughs> you know they're, they're trying to adopt technologies like you know um sse technologies and you know small business is not <laughs> so, there, so there's so many things you've said in those statements that are worrying right i mean mm-hmm. i don't even know where to start uh, i mean big companies are going to draw more attention but they're also Mm -hmm. potentially going to have more resources more security funding all of those things 
And I guess historically, smaller companies have gone, oh, we're okay because we're only small fish. People are going to go after the big fish. Therefore, maybe we don't invest as much. We don't have the investment. We don't have the resources. We don't have the staff. One of the things we've talked about recently is legislation. Now, all these changes in legislation is putting more kind of pressure on companies to be secure. And as far as I know, the legislation doesn't say if you're a company less than X, you don't need to care. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, if if the, the attackers are now going after the weaker already, mm-hmm. I mean, and we've we've talked with Chase Cunningham about this, that you just want to be the less weak, I think is what he said. That, that, it was a law of, Sav- law of the Savannah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. um, but I mean, I it concerns me because... Let, okay, let's talk about zero trust then, right? So for me, zero trust is important for any organization. And we talk a lot about it from a technology point of view. And, and we were at RSA together and we walked across the the, the floor mm-hmm. and everything was either zero trust or AI. Everyone's trying to productize zero trust and, and sell it to you. Now, great. But I've been doing some work recently and some stuff with the csa and a few other people mm-hmm. that d- d- are trying to write stuff on zero trust and we've been talking about the fact that you need to get the kind of basics right and you can actually do quite a lot on your zero trust journey without necessarily acquiring or buying new technology so i That's guess true. what are you seeing people do are you seeing because of this legislation even smaller companies are starting to think about zero trust. And if they are, what are they doing? Are they just running out to buy tech? How, what, are, what are they doing to kind of start the journey and, and progress on that journey? Yeah, I think that because of that hype, you know, a lot of these small businesses understand the word now they, or they, they've seen the word. You know, they understand that it is what they should be aiming for. And, you know, zero trust, they understand that it's a, it's a concept that they should be moving towards. But uh, when I'm asked about it, usually they're asking about a product. You know, they're, they're asking, what, what, what product can we buy? And so I'm having to educate them that really it, it's not a product. It's, it's really, you know, a strategy of how we're going to do this. And uh, so a lot of that stuff doesn't require buying uh, new technology, you know, technology may accelerate certain parts of it, but, uh, or, or facilitate certain parts of the zero trust journey, but, you know, most, you know, environments that have a decent tech stack already can be kind of converted to a zero trust model. Um, if, if their modern tech, you know, is involved, but, uh, I still think that there's a level of expertise that's needed and that those companies don't have. So they require a service provider, you know, to, to help them along that journey. For instance, you know, if we think about some of the kind of pillars of, of zero trust, if you're thinking about, I am, you know, identity and access management, um, you know, aside from just setting up AD default out of the box and setting up users on it, you know, most small businesses, don't have that inside expertise in, in far as how to secure AD, how to protect those identities, how to think about really, um, you know, segmenting, creating a, you know, a red forest, et cetera, how to, uh, you know, 
protect that identity infrastructure, let alone setting up roles that are appropriate to protect uh, protect surfaces. And um, you know, I think that is is one of the obstacles with those smaller businesses. Um, if we think about network security, a lot of them, you know, as far as a uh, you know, smaller or medium-sized business is just throwing a firewall in front of their network. Uh, you know, if we talk about segmentation, a lot of them don't think they're at a size that segmentation is even a valid solution for them. And some of them aren't, you know, but some of them are, you know, it makes sense to separate human resources, sales, functional roles, et cetera. But, uh, you know, identity-based segmentation is almost never even thought of, um, you know, so it's walking them through those steps is, is kind of the role that I'm playing with those clients that are interested in it. Uh, others just say, okay, you know, this sounds like a trend that I'm not going to worry about. Um, but uh, yeah, so th those are the challenges right now is, is um, realizing that if somebody's going to go down this road as a small and medium sized business, they need a me or someone to lead them through that. And, you know, there's, there's only so many me's um, to go around. So it's, uh, you know, it's helping those small business. There's so many more small businesses and medium sized businesses than there are enterprises. Enterprises always get all the flashy attention um, for the new tech products, but, you know, most of the economy is being held down by small and medium-sized businesses. So, uh, you know, protecting them is, to me, it, it's it's kind of like a calling. It's saying, okay, you know, yeah, it's great to protect big enterprise, but big enterprise has the resources to protect themselves. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, uh, you know, small, medium-sized businesses don't know what they don't know and don't have the resources, et cetera. So what can we do to improve their journey? And um, so that that is a challenge saying, okay, they have an IT budget for an entire year of $10,000. How can I take $10,000 and give them something that resembles zero trust yeah and i i think so a lot of those smaller businesses make up the supply chains of the bigger businesses right mm -hmm. so if they happen to get compromised there's a good chance th those threat actors can use that compromise to get into the larger business yeah. um so I, I i read an interesting article last week that talked about it was something like either 72 or 77% of businesses still have an awful lot of their computers where users have admin rights on them. Yes. Right? Yes. So, I mean, that scares me. And I, I, it wasn't that long ago that we, in my previous life, we were acquiring a business of, of several hundred users. And not only were they administrators on their own machines, but they were all in the domain admins group because it was just easier, right? Yep. So it just made things work. Now, we are talking a company of like 120 people, right? So it wasn't a small company, really. It wasn't like five or 10 people. Um, if you were advising a, a small, medium-sized company about the basics, getting some like real key things in place, mm -hmm. i.e. where are you seeing most of the compromises come into, what would be your advice? Is it a simple kind of web scanner? Is it an email gateway? Is it, I don't know, removing users that 
no longer work for the company, is it removing admin rights? Mm. Is it as simple as just getting them in the right group that have access to the right applications? Where where are you seeing most companies kind of get compromised? And it, is it easy compromise that would be relatively straightforward to have re- kind of blocked? Or yes. is it kind of real intent stuff that you think, I'm going to have to raise the bar this high and I'm still going to get compromised? Right. So there's three controls that I put in place for everybody. And the first one is, I think, the most important is MFA. Um, but when I'm talking about MFA, uh, most companies don't have MFA on their VPN. So they'll have an old ASA, you know, it's running, you know, you know, remote access VPN. They're using the, the you know, any connect client and connecting to their ASA and, and, and getting access to their line of business applications, et cetera, and their file server. But, uh, you know, there was no VPN ever. I mean, there was no MFA set up years ago when they got this infrastructure set up. And, uh, you know, it that functionality is not inherent in it. So you got to trigger, uh, you know, an, an MFA through Duo or some other um kind of a you know mfa solution um so getting those controls in place so you know if they had open rdp getting rid of open rdp um you know any rdp that they have should have mfa on it. any administrative access to a server uh should have um mfa on it um vpn access um and their email you know should at, at a base level those things should have mfa um and if, if email especially if email is has mfa on it that's reducing their risk a lot because a lot of that initial access is coming in through through you know compromise of an account that is really their their email account and then once they have that those email creds then they can go and try to vpn and do other stuff and try to get in through um through those mechanisms but uh so mfa is the first one uh then edr is something you know i I, you know i'm requiring for everybody you know for when that threat does come in you know and hits a server or workstation yes there's edr bypass you know there's some effective ways to go around it but i want a loud signal when there's allowed attack going on and ransomware is loud um so it's never sneaky and quiet that initial access may be sneaky and quiet but when there's a, you know when they're dropping ransomware um you know obviously the data is maybe exfiltrated already it may be already breached but that is a, a very loud attack and uh edr will pick that up and 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 get our attention um and then cloud backup um so you know if they do get ransomware and everything gets encrypted i want a cloud backup that i can restore from that's that's really you know on-prem backup i'm always working on their solutions with that and trying to segment that off and their veeam infrastructure and everything and try to protect it so i have a restore path but uh i always want to layer in a cloud backup as a hail mary um so when the whole infrastructure is leveled at least i can restore them so those are kind of like my basic hygiene it's like prevention and then restorability is is really what i need um and then after that you know then i'm doing user access reviews and things like that and then you're saying okay everybody's an admin then you have to have some conversations with their staff. A lot of times it's the IT guy who really has no idea, and you know, the, the amount of risk. And you're like, why are you using a domain admin as a daily driver? Like, we'll create a privileged account for you 
use that when you're doing administrative tasks, whether it's 365 or or in your on-prem infrastructure, but use your uh, you know, non-administrative account for your everyday stuff. And they look at you like you're crazy because you're creating a work because now they have to log out and log in as this administrative user, you know, but, um, you know, you, you have to explain to them that, okay, if you get fished, now the attacker has access to the world. And that alone is what I'm seeing the most as far as how is ransomware happening. It's an administrator's creds get breached from another site, you know, so it's a reuse of creds problem. So the attacker is not having to hack anything. They're just looking on, you know, um, password dump sites and saying, oh, Bob's password, he uses this for a lot of sites. Let me try logging in with this. Oh, it works. I'm in. I have access to the network now. Um, you know, and oh, Bob's a, a domain admin. So I don't even have to fight to to escalate privileges or any elevate privileges or anything. I'm, I am... I'm already where I need to be. Um, so to me, that is the most common, um, you know, way in that I'm seeing is the attackers just logging in with creds that are known. And if 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 the creds aren't known, then they'll just fish the creds. <laughs> um, so you know, uh, really convincing social engineering, which you know, ChatGPT is actually really amazing at, is you know, writing. Uh, emails that will be effective in in phishing the the user, getting those creds and logging in. So initial access is less. I'm 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 finding some vulnerability in some web application. You know, it's usually just logging in. That's it's crazy sense. when you think about it, right? I mean, I I I'm a little bit speechless because I've been in IT a long time. I've got gray hair to prove it, and. It feels like in the last 25 years, we haven't really learned that those real kind of fundamental... I mean, when when I was in a previous life, I implemented several levels of administration access. You, you, like if you were using email on your day-to-day -day job or doing day-to-day -day things, you had a day-to-day -day account. That, that's what it was. Mm -hmm. Then you have elevated permissions just to do admin task but not even as a domain admin you just had elevated permissions using windows kind of organizational units and permissions mm. and stuff you 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 could manage file servers or you could manage the exchange server now don't get me wrong it wasn't easy in the early days to do that because to do certain things with microsoft you had to have a domain admin or an enterprise admin or an exchange admin they didn't make it easy right so doing that kind of segregation was difficult but I mean, it's been available for a period of time. And yep. if you are logging in as an IT administrator, as a domain admin, and you're then fished, that's almost like leaving your front door open with a sign that says, please come in. I mean, it, it, you don't even need to be that smart. I mean, we, we talk about this all the time, that it, a hacker used to be somebody hiding up in their bedroom with a hoodie on, having yep. to do clever stuff. Now you can literally download applications with really very little IT knowledge or experience and run them, and it will find stuff like that. So, I, 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 and yes, it may take time, and nobody wants to have to log out and log in with another account or have multiple accounts, and I get it all. But I can also guarantee that the mess that you're going to have if you get compromised is far worse than logging out and logging in. 
Yep. John, John, I can see you. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I, I had a, more of a kind of a question and it's a kind of a large one and I, I don't know if mm -hmm. we'll be able to answer it, but um, we've talked a lot about technology. We've talked a lot about um, large businesses, the law of the Savannah um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> and how the targets for uh, the majority of these new ransomware attacks are, are small to medium business. Um so I'm kind of wondering from a from a large perspective, say you're, oh, I'll just throw it out there. You're a U.S. senator and you're thinking about how do I help the country uh, move mm -hmm. forward um, and I need to bring cybersecurity to Main Street. Uh, you, you, are, you work a lot with a lot of these smaller businesses. You kind of know their challenges, um, mm -hmm. where they're coming from. Uh, if, if you were to because we're headed in this direction. I think we can all agree that there's going to be more legislation, more policy around this. Um, what would you recommend to a senator saying, hey, I got to change the game um, and I got to bring cyber to Main Street? Uh, is there, you know, from, from from a high level, are there some mechanisms in place? Are there some, some ideas that you might have to uh, help these smaller businesses better protect themselves? Um, and as well, it's very expensive for them to, as well. It's not their margins are not that great, uh, and you know, for them to bring in a, a high end technology tool might break their budget. Um, mm -hmm. What does that look like? Yeah, so that's that's been a huge obstacle, and I've actually had to go to events and speak on this, et cetera, in, in the last couple of years. Uh, there is a White House initiative around critical infrastructure that is kind of looking at MSPs now as critical infrastructure because of the amount of small businesses that we support. So our breakdown, you know, Arium has about a thousand clients, um, you know, and the majority of them are small and medium sized businesses. There are some upper mid and some enterprise in there. But uh, the majority of our customer base is small and medium-sized businesses. And most MSPs support all small and medium-sized businesses. So most small businesses do not have an internal IT guy. If they do, it's one person um, who may just be the guy who is good at fixing computers and may not really understand network or system administration. And so they always have to outsource to a service provider. And so I think the, you know, the White House is realizing that. And uh, so in these initiatives that have come out now, it's it's really they're looking at what we can do to enable MSPs to have a standard for small businesses in order to level up their security. Of course, there are small businesses that aren't engaging with an MSP. Um, so those are going to be outliers. They're going to have to do something else for those. But right now, the approach is that most small businesses are working with a firm that is handling something for them. And so what one of the things that, you know, MITRE, et cetera, are engaged with uh, right now is trying to come up with solutions that will move the, the bar, you know, and, and, and improve security for these small businesses that is consumable, uh, free, if not low cost, something that MSPs can roll out automatically for all their clients, that kind of thing. And they're working out, like I've, I've had a lot of discussions with MITRE, who is is working on some of these solutions, and they, they have a lot of ideas um, of different technologies to use and different approaches, and they have a lot of capacity and a lot of, a lot of uh, you know, they have a, a, 
a deep tool set uh, at MITRE that they've developed over the years, you know, working with defense, et cetera. Um, so they have a lot at their fingertips to help um, to help do this, but they're trying to figure out, okay, what can we, what can we provide to everybody um, in order to, to improve their position? Of course, the way attack, the, the way the threat actors are right now, you know, they have AI at their fingertips too. Um, you know, and I, I believe that any defenses we throw in, you know, here's the free package of security stuff that we have for small businesses. Um, you know, threat actors are either going to find a vulnerability in that package that gets distributed to every small business, or, um, you know, they're going to find a workaround and it's not going to matter. Um, so it, it, it's really a, you know, that's depressing, I know. Um, but uh, th that's kind of how I feel is, is there's nothing to stop a determined threat actor from accessing your environment. Um, like, right now, all we're doing is layering in ways to uh, make it harder. But there's always a way. Um, so uh, as soon as they figure out that way around whatever mechanisms we do put in place, uh, that'll just be a programmatic response because every small business will have the same controls in place. So it'll just be a, an easy workaround for them. So, uh, but right now the way to that Senator conversation is happening. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and the, the approach is really to work with MSPs to uh, set standards. And so some of it is setting standards. Okay, these are our standards for monitoring. These are our standards for response. These are, you know, these are how we're supposed to respond to threats. And then this is our SLA, et cetera. And our mean time to response for um, uh, threats against small businesses um, in order to improve that that stance. But yeah, that that is uh, the conversation right now. And um, I don't, have i mean i have a feeling that it'll improve things in the short term but i don't think it'll it'll make anything go away like it'll just it'll create a, a, a tripping hazard for the threat actor until they figure out a way around it yeah and i think that's a concern i mean it's like damming a river right i mean you can dam the river you build i don't know a four foot dam because the river's two feet deep mm -hmm. the water gets to four feet deep and suddenly the <laughs> dam is irrelevant it, it, yeah. you might as well not have it so it's a constant battle, and it, you constantly have to raise the size of the dam, right, to hold the water back. Do you think we'll ever get the dam to the full height, and we'll ever stop attacks? I, I mean, I don't, but uh, you know, at least my 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 current viewpoint of the world right now is is just constantly dealing with these attacks, and and you know, different different ttps and different different methods of attack and you know anytime you put new stuff you put an edr everywhere and they have edr bypass you know you put an mfa and they're mfa bombing users and coming up with you know sim jacking etc and, and ways around mfa so i just feel like anything that we put in place is just you know there's going to be a way um but uh so yeah i, I don't foresee that i think there has to be my way is to to kind of shift left on the whole thing is to make the systems um in in such a way that that they're not um it doesn't matter if they're breached yeah you know and you know there's kind of a, a lot of you know approaches to that but ephemeral systems cloud-based containers etc 
is one approach, but, uh, you know, and then your data, how are you, how are you handling that? Is it a, a tokenized, you know, um, uh, system where you're, um, you know, encrypting and distributing data, um, you know, how, how, however we do it, but I think it has to be a, uh, a complete change in how, what our normal is for infrastructure is is how how we have to get around this because as long as we have the you know the cattle and sheep idea mm-hmm. i mean uh, you know the, the cattle and, cattle pets, and idea, pets yep cattle and pets idea as long as we have cattle um you know we're going to be safer than if we have pets um you know when we're when we have pets it's just you know you have this thing that you have to protect and you're con- constantly building this dam around it and the threat actors are always finding new ways to get over the dam so um you know that the, the pets are are those servers that the small businesses have are these these systems that that you know enterprises have and and when i've done incident response there's been you know man there's been so many networks that i've worked on for large enterprise that are thousands of machines and they haven't been updated in forever and they're all supporting this amazing application and no one's allowed to touch anything you're not allowed to put any more controls in because it might break something you're not allowed to update anything because it might break something um you know it's not a resilient system at all it's not built for you know ephemerality you know and you know that's at a lot of large enterprises I've dealt with, that's really how it is. So these are just clusters of pets that are out there in the world. And and there's, uh, you know, they've created an infrastructure, which is really indefensible. Um, you know, there's, there's in the long run. Yeah. Ransomware is the technical debt collector. I mean, seriously, you just described it right there. Uh, these arcane uh, applications that have been built up over time and this technical debt has just been accepted, accepted, accepted to the point where um, at some point it comes due and, and the collector shows up and there you are. It's yeah. like having a massive dam that's leaking and you've only got a certain mm-hmm. amount of fingers so you can plug all the gaps. <laughs> but fundamentally, you all know at some point it's going to collapse right so our historic way of doing security at least in my opinion is deter people make them go somewhere mm-hmm. else where it's easier to get in right so mm-hmm. it used to be that people would walk around the car park trying all the doors if your door was locked and somebody else was unlocked they'd steal that car then it got to the point where we put better locks on doors but we only had one key that could open multiple locks so people would walk around with one key and they'd get to a car they try yours it didn't work they try someone else's it did work that's what it comes down to it's like we started off this call really we're talking about people are now kind of avoiding the large enterprises because they get attention drawn to them and potentially because it's harder to get in so all the weaker companies are going to do is really build the dam higher and higher so that somebody else goes and breaks into another company. Yep. You just, we, we've spent so long just not, or, or trying not to be the weakest. So fundamentally, mm-hmm. we need to change something else. So we need to put a big protector around all the animals. So it doesn't matter whether you're weak or strong, you can't be attacked. And, and so yep. it is a fundamental change. I think we're at a pivotal point in IT and security where we're going to have to start realizing that. I mean, there are more and more regulations coming in place. There is more pressure to have your environment secure no matter what size you are. You have to now tell 
the government uh, within four days if you've been compromised you also get yeah. fined there's all these other things so the pressure is definitely being applied quite hard which i hope drives some in innovation into doing it in a different way because otherwise it's just going to be a money-making factory because people are going to get fined left, right, and center. So not only are they going to have to pay ransoms to get their data back, they're then going to have to acknowledge they were breached in some way and pay the fine on that as well. And it yep. will put, unfortunately, it will start putting companies out of business. For the big ones that can afford the fines and can afford the ransomware, great. But if you're a 150-user company and not only are you going to get compromised, you're then going to get fined. You're actually going to be wishing that you didn't have to tell everyone so that you could just deal with yes. the ransomware, but then you'll get fined even more because someone is going to find out. There yep. just needs to be a change in the way we do things, and I don't know what yeah. that is, but I think we all acknowledge that it exists. And going to RSA is quite an exciting thing for me. I like all the technology, but also it's actually quite a depressing place to go because you walk around and you're like we're just they're all different colors of the same t-shirt <laughs> like and there are some great startups and there is some clever stuff coming out and the clever stuff that's coming out really is still feels a little bit like belt embraces it doesn't feel like a completely mm -hmm. new way of doing things and i'm hoping zero trust is that kind of golden egg because it is a bit of a fundamental change but there's mm -hmm. more to it than that. Yeah, yeah. I think I think zero trust plus, um, you know, a lot of uh, you know, infrastructure and lo looking at how how we're managing servers in general, um, you know, and how we're storing data in general um, has to change, and that can be a part of that zero trust journey um, as well. But uh, you know, a cloud transformation, digital transformation, whatever they want to call it. Um, but, uh, um, that really, I think in addition to zero trust, so, you know, you're protecting your environment, but you're also zero trust is keeping you from being breached in your environment as well. So the two of them together, I think, you know, are, are probably there. Now you did mention about the SEC, um, situation and, uh, you know, it, it's funny cause I actually, uh, had an experience in which that really made me kind of support the decision, um, about it because uh, I was doing a uh, IR for a very large enterprise and uh, they, you know, publicly traded, obviously. Um, and in the middle of their IR, you know, they had thousands and thousands of servers, which were encrypted, all their workstations, they had complete business interruption, everything down. Um, they had threatened all of their employees not to talk about it um you know with penalty of losing their job etc and um you know and they had you know lots of employees very large company and i'm surprised it never went on you know nobody tweeted about it nobody talked about it anywhere like i kept searching for it and there was no shred that they had been breached you know so everyone was silent and, and followed the gag order from the company and the CEO during in the middle of their breach was on, um, you know, on one of the CNBC shows, you know, talking to analysts, talking about how amazing their company is doing and how they're having such a strong quarter and and their stocks going up and and everything is amazing right now. 
And meanwhile, I'm in there with my team rebuilding every server they have from scratch. Um, and, you know, just seeing that lie happen, um, you know, that's why I, I kind of celebrate the, t the, the SEC thing like that, that, that lie should not be allowed to perpetuate, um, <laughs> you know, so I'm glad that that is, is happening now so that in the future, those breaches do come to light. But yeah, I think it will make it for organizations that are publicly traded. So they're under the SEC ruling, um, but aren't doing amazing. You know, that could be the thing that breaks the company. Um, I agree there. I think this podcast has some amazing insights in it. And I mean, I, I, I love every time I talk to you. It, it, <laughs> I mean, you're, you're, right at the firing line right you're you're right there so you can see a lot of these things that are happening it, it, it's great to get real world experiences you've got some great insights um thank you for coming back on again I, i'm gonna ask you a fun question um all right before we wrap up and i i, I always ask about food and but i'm pretty sure i've asked you about food um <laughs> but it's gonna have to be food related anyway so um do you cook is the first question yeah okay so if yeah. you cook and i'm going to steal one of john's questions that he asked um previously if you had a gathering of people whether it was family or friends um come around for either a holiday season or something what would you cook and why yeah brisket yeah it's oh, yeah. you know yeah, not <laughs> even know. a pause. Just not even a pause. Yeah. Bang, brisket. No. Yeah, you know, uh, not uh, not only a delicious cut of beef, but you know, if you're if you're cooking it low and slow the way it should be, you know, you're keeping all that flavor. It's juicy. It falls apart. You know, it's something that that everybody will enjoy. But uh, you know, I I like to serve it sliced instead of uh you know shredded, and you know, people can shred it if they want to, but uh. You know, and then, you know, so you have this, like, it's almost like this perfectly barbecued steak on your yeah. thing, you know, on your plate. And it's just like nothing, nothing beats that. So, and it's easy to produce it for a large gathering. You know, it's like, it's not, it's not like I'm digging a hole and roasting a pig in the front yard. You know, it's a, it's yeah. a, it's doable. So I, to, yeah, brisket's my go-to. I, I mean, I know John has some really weird kind of food fetishes. Um, but I know he likes brisket, so I, I'm in agreement with you. I think the three of us are in agreement. But but John, over to you for for one kind of final question. So yeah, so I'm going to tag on to to Jay's question there, but uh, with a, a little different twist. Um, so you've obviously you've got a big gathering. You've made an amazing brisket, and you're slicing it, not shredding it. And I totally agree with that. Um, if you were to have one person that you could pick out. Uh, this could be a person uh, alive, could be historical, uh, to attend that event and you got an hour to spend with them. Who would it be? Ooh. Ooh. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, we're going down down the food um, corridor. So, you know, I think, you know, there's so many famous chefs that I love. And, uh, uh, yeah, I think that I, I would have to be a famous chef and, uh, yeah, it, it's, I mean, Gordon Ramsay comes to mind, but I think he would just insult my food. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, but I mean, so I have a real like I'm a fanboy of Alton Brown. I don't know if you know oh, who he is. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. He hosted Good Eats. He has a tour that goes around and he does like a food show and everything I've gone to or tour several times. Uh, but I feel like that man taught me how to cook. I'm watching his shows and watching him listen to his commentary on Iron Chef and when he's doing that and stuff. It's like, uh, you know, I think having him there, um, you know, heck, I'd like to cook with the man, you know, and just spend a couple hours cooking with him, I think. But Alton Brown is is, is probably the key. But uh, yeah, um, if I was good enough, I'd say Gordon Ramsay because he's hilarious. But, uh, <laughs> um, you know, right now I feel like he would just insult me and I'd cry. You he know. insults everybody, I think. Um, so. Yeah, he does. I, I, yeah. I like Alton Brown. I mean, just breaking it down in a very scientific manner, getting mm -hmm. to the elements of why this el this element adds a flavor or yeah. texture or something uh, to, you know, a, a meat or whatever it may be. Uh, yeah, 100% yeah, there. I, I, I love watching some Alton Brown. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Good way to wrap up a podcast and talk about food. So I hope we'll share food again at some point. I hope we can grab a brisket together. It's been great having you on. Um, I'm sure we'll have you on again as a guest. Um, but yeah, I just think it was amazing. Thank you very much for coming on and spending the time. And I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this discussion, please give The Edge a like and a follow on your favorite podcast service. And also connect with the SSC Forum on LinkedIn. Get all the latest updates and news on the phenom known as the Security Service Edge. <laughs>